Welcome back to another episode of The Core Podcast. Today, we're diving deep into an issue that's crucial for the future of cybersecurity, and that's to include diversity and inclusion within our industry. We'll discuss how to make the cybersecurity industry more diverse, with a particular focus on women joining the field and supporting the neurodiversity. And it's something that Quarter Cloud's been really passionate about, especially last year when, if you've been following the podcast, we did a whole feature on encouraging women into tech. I am absolutely delighted to have uh, Poovy uh, K join our podcast today. Um, We've only met virtually, so it's kind of a weird scenario of coming on and talking and not really knowing each other very much, but hopefully you'll get to know each other more in the next kind of 40 minutes. Um, Really inspirational that you've done a TED Talk, you've done international speaking, you mentor, you're very passionate about getting women into tech, you hold your own job in cybersecurity. You're a very, very busy lady. Um, so thank you so much for actually spending and giving us some time to join the podcast. Um, would you like to tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and why you're so passionate about this topic? Sure. Firstly, Kelly, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Not it's always a privilege to be able to speak about this and get the, the message out to the masses. Um, so, hi everyone, I'm Pervy Kay. I work for BA Systems PLC right now um, as the Head of Cybersecurity Governance, Risk and Compliance. Um, in terms of my career journey, uh, I'm not, uh, by background, not a cybersecurity specialist, so I, I got into it by accident. I am actually professionally a, um, an aerospace engineer, and after graduating, I worked for the government uh, on uh, the Typhoon fighter jets, which was very interesting, quite um, an exciting time. But then I decided to explore the civil service a bit more and I landed accidentally into cybersecurity. Um, and it was meant to be a two years of comment, uh, but I loved it so much. I am now doing it for uh, 11 years. Uh, I never went back to engineering. Um, maybe one day I will, because I'm still passionate about aircrafts and engineering. But yeah, it's just the, the my journey the last 10, 11 years has just taken me from uh, one cyber role to another. Uh, loads of diverse roles I have done. I just opportunities kept coming and I just kept taking them and it just uh, progressed my career in a completely unimaginable way. And I left the civil service last year uh, to join industry and BA Systems is my first sort of private sector job Um but it's a fantastic role that I've been given here, uh, a huge role, uh, but also a lot of empowerment to do things like this yeah. um, and mentor and, and encourage other women to you know, be part of this amazing field of work. A real common theme from interviewing women, especially in the sector, is that it was an accident and not where they wanted or didn't see themselves going. I think because there's maybe not many people that we can relate to or stick up on our wall and be like oh that's who I want to be in so also a lot to unpack the fact that you had absolutely no cyber background and now look at your role that's incredibly inspiring for me as a woman and for anyone listening in the fact that you can get into cyber security even without a background in cyber security um so what was the drivers I guess because did you have role models did you have mentors or was it just really great people around you to support you on your journey. What do you think were the key things? So a combination of it all. Um, firstly, at the time I joined cyber, there was not a lot of awareness about what cybersecurity is. And when when I looked at it as as information uh, security or you know information technology, 
it was a very male-dominated environment. For me personally, um, that didn't matter as much because I was already in a male-dominant environment being in engineering and aerospace engineering and also working alongside military. Very male-dominated. So that was an, uh, a major issue. But for people I've spoken to, that has been a, a slight barrier where they think it's a very male-dominated environment. Will I fit in? How do I fit in? Um, what made it easier for me, uh, my first boss in cybersecurity was a female herself, a very empowering female leader. Um, and the air environment I worked in, I saw other females as well. So what I realized is women are doing this job, but we're not making other women aware of these. And so the whole mentoring and, you know, trying to, uh, you know, for me, I believe if you can see it, you can be it. So trying to put myself out there as well, showing people I've been able to do it in this way, so so can you, uh, has really been the, the drive for me uh, and the interest that I've had in, in bringing other women along this journey as well. Uh, the support element that you talked about, 100%. Throughout my career journey, I've had various mentors, male, female, um, and they have definitely helped me shape my career to where it is now. I joined the industry, although be it, I'm not in the technical side, I'm on the marketing side, eight years ago. And I would predominantly say that it is male-dominated. What do you think right now is the current state of the diversity of our industry and of cybersecurity? And is the data changing? And do you think more women are joining? So from a gender perspective, it is better but there's a lot more we need to do. So I'm, I'm looking at, uh, you know, we've got about, say, 30% female, 60% male, and the rest unidentified or non-binary, etc. So yeah. there is still that imbalance. They, that's one bit. The second bit imbalance, I would say, is although we have 30-odd percent of women in this field, what roles are they in? So at the higher up we go, that percentage gets less and less. And less. So that's another area we're focusing on as well, not just bringing women into cyber, but developing them, nurturing them and helping them progress to senior roles because we need to see more seniors there. So there's a lot, a lot more we need to do. What, uh, from the journey I've been on in the last 10 years, what what I would say I've noticed is there are quite a lot of senior women out there who are in cyber roles and are absolutely smashing it. They're so inspirational. I mean, we have, you know, um, the leader of uh, the National Cybersecurity Center herself is female, you know. So all that kind of role models, putting them out there is is very important for others to see. And the seniority level of that, why do you think women aren't going up like I've I've, I've done quite a few podcasts on it it seems to be that we don't put ourselves forward there is an impact if you have children um and that's obviously a choice but that does seem to impact your career progression because you either have to put something or hold or um and I was I I read a really interesting statistic that uh also the salary barrier is that if you have a child a woman's salary drops I think it's by six percent but if you're a man and you've had a child they increase it by six percent like a oh, you've had a kid, so you need to give more money into the family. So women get further and further. So it's also the seniority, the pay gap, the things like that. So how do you think, um, well, as women, to women, how we can get more women? Like I'm very lucky I got put on the board nearly two years ago, but how do you think there's more ways that we can 
help women get up there as an industry, as women? What do you think could be done for that? So I think that's a two-way thing. So when you said, you know, women, uh, some some women don't feel motivated enough or uh, feel they can, they don't have that self-belief that they can, that that needs to be addressed. So we need, you know, um, to boost a bit more confidence in women and also their perception there are quite a lot of misconceptions here around the cybersecurity industry itself where women think most of the roles are technical roles and I'm not a techie. I get so many women coming to me and say, I can't do that because I'm not a techie. I don't have XYZ certification. Okay, I have zero cybersecurity qualifications and I'm working for a FTSE 100 company as as a lead for a cybersecurity GRC. So it's showing them that all those traditional norms as you call them you need this certification you need to be highly technical no longer stands we are able we are able to offer so many other cybersecurity roles uh, where you don't need to be highly technical or don't need all these qualifications and putting that message out there and making them aware of it is one thing secondly in terms of flexibility as well that is something that's a two-way street the, the companies can do is offer that flexibility a lot of women i speak to say to me, I'm about to go to a maternity leave, but there's this amazing opportunity there and I don't want to apply because who would give me a job when I'm about to go to maternity Um, I actually got promoted while I was on maternity leave. And the only reason that happened is because I tried, I asked and I got. But if I kept telling myself, who would, who would, who would, I would never even try. So again, it's opening up those limiting beliefs and barriers for women that, those just break those barriers break those traditional norms what's the worst that can happen and for the company is to 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 be also be educated and aware of the type of flexibility parents i'm not just talking about women now here parents need when they have children and it's not just about the flexibility when they have children but also when adults have care responsibilities of any sort so this is not just about parenting i think companies need to start realizing that covid has partially helped with that where companies have started to realize you know my staff are more productive at home because they're able to have a better work-life balance i'm not saying every company has realized that i mean most have but to be able to have that two-way understanding of how they work what works best for them what timings work best for them you know giving them flexible working options like do a four-day week or you know a a, a nine-day fortnight something like that Making that available for your staff, I think, will encourage more women to go for these sort of roles. The other thing I think women also think of is cyber is a very live issue. So we are getting attacked every time, you know, cyber cyber, cyber threat is quite live, quite sophisticated. I need to be on the board, you know, 24-7, right? Mm. There are other roles you can do. If you're, if you're instant manager and you're managing that, yeah, okay, that can be intense. But that's not the only role. And if you're a parent, you know, there's only going to be a certain time in your parenting life that you will not be able to do those sort of roles. But there'll be another time when your kids are older and you will be. Isn't isn't that a thing? Like, amen to that. Because, um, yeah, there's a period where there's nappies and diapers and all that. So, you know, I didn't take very long with both of my children off on, because we were a growing company and all, all those side of things. Um, but if I had stepped back and gone, there's no way I could have got back on the train right now. But my kids were a, a really 
it's really sad that it's such a short period of their life that that's really hard. And then by five, they're at school. So most of the time their hours are structured. They've got after school clubs. Then they, so a couple of years later, they don't even want you getting them dressed. At that point, they don't even want you feeding them. So it's like you can't give up your whole career for maybe 18 months, two years of a of a period of that kid's life. And it's a mum guilt and a balance definitely of am I doing it right? Am I being at work? But yeah, I think um, a lot of women lose a bit of their identity if their career was really important. And it can, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's employees and companies being aware that like, yes, they're having a baby, but their life's not over. <laughs> it's like just one small error of their life and, and years go so quickly and quarters go so quickly and and we have real ambitious women in, in my own team as well. We, you know, I've recently employed somebody who's just come off maternity leave. She's got a nine-month-old baby. But I know how super talented and ambitious she is. And I know the flexibility I need to provide. But again, it's not just me being a mother as well. I've got two little ones as well. So it's not just because I'm a mother and I understand it. It's because our company allows it. I have male colleagues who have female staff and they accommodate as well. You know, they may not they may not feel the motherly pain or but there are parents as well so they understand so it's just having that understanding at the end of it all we're all humans we're not robots yes and there's a huge human element of cyber security i think that's that you can't you can forget that and you can forget that also even applying for a role that like that you're working with other humans yes it's cyber security but there's other human beings around it and supportive and and can bring you up so yeah I think the human element is such an underestimated part of our industry that doesn't doesn't get talked about um we've talked about challenges for women in general I mean I know diversity is obviously a really important discussion I obviously can't empathize being white and and British and a woman so I've got my woman barriers but I'm very lucky for the education that I've had access to um maybe very lucky with the parents that I had that were very supportive what do you think is impacting not only women but also the diversity of cultures in joining the industry um and what are your perceptions of that Sure. So for the benefit of the audience who can't see me, I am um, from an Asian background, so a minority as well. I'm also not born British. I come from Kenya. Uh, that's where I was born. Um, so I had a language barrier. Although we, we studied and spoke in English, the type of English was different. Some of the, you know, the slang as well and the, the tone, very different. So a huge cultural shock when I moved to this country. Bear in mind, I moved here when I was 19, so I didn't move here as a child Oh either. gosh, yeah, you, you were very much a teenager very much yeah of course and had to go to university and all that with all the changes so a huge cultural shock and from my culture and a lot of other minority cultures as well um we have this thing about uh, what like when i wanted to become an aerospace engineer my whole family was like what what is that, <laughs> that? because everybody we knew around us were doctors or you know lawyers or businessmen okay. you know so when you're trying to break slightly out of the norm it's a, it's a fear factor that gets into your parents as well. Says, oh, no, do something that's within the comfort zone, right? Uh, but I've always been a rebel. I've always been, I'm not going to follow the crowd. So anyway, I went off and did aerospace engineering and, and look where I, what it's got me to. Again, when I got into cybersecurity, nobody knew, I mean, I didn't know what it was. But I like that. I like that let's break the norm and challenge what's outside. So from a, a diversity point of view, for those who are from a minority background, 
I, I would recommend, you know, look outside that comfort zone. Look outside because that's where your growth is, right? You follow the crowd, you'll become the crowd. Yeah. So yeah. for, for me, that's where I, I always, every day I've mentored as well, I always said, you know, th- th- just because we have been doing it this way all our lives, you know, doesn't mean that's the right way. What, what, is, what, is, what else is there in the other direction? Let's go have a look at that. And I think that mindset change for some people is very important. Also, again, if you see it, you believe it. I don't see many people like me in the field that I'm in. So... So that's another barrier. And, and I have never seen it like that. I've never seen race, color, or gender or anything. For some reason, I just see, see everybody as a human Everyone's being. Everyone's a human being, yeah. yeah. And even so. when recruiting, it's not about your race, color, background. It's about your competence. It's about your knowledge, the your skills, your experience, the best person for the job. So it's, it's, it's having that mindset as well for employers, for recruiters that employ in that way. And for somebody like me, if I haven't seen somebody like me in a certain area, I wouldn't go there because I want to be the person representing them and I want others to see that I can do it so they can do it too. So having more uh, minorities in certain areas that, you know, they're underrepresented, uh, underrepresented is also important. In, in cybersecurity, it, it, it is, again, uh, problematic as well. Um, it, it's not as diverse in that sense. But again, it is, there is things we can do and it is getting better. So mentoring for uh, ethnic minorities as well, just, just separate mentoring and getting them to understand how they can progress within their careers, within different industries, helping them do that, giving them that accelerated path as well to progression, helping them through that. And understanding uh, this is not just about equality, this is about equity as well now. Not everybody has the same start to life. Nice. So... Whereas, you know, I have gone to school, you have gone to school. Yeah. I had to pay for my education where we didn't have money. So I had to go and work during the school holidays yeah. to go. So although we both had education, we have another right start. So for diver- to, to diversify, I think understanding it's about equity as well. And the thing I say to organizations and to companies is have a look at the stats. The most diverse organizations are the ones that are the most productive and most successful. It's an interesting thing that you say that. So I went to university about uh, probably about 18 months ago. didn't seem that long ago. And they had an interesting stat about how cybercrime within um, the industry would be lowered if they were more collaborative. And it struck me as a quite an interesting stat that, you know, and I said, oh, I've got a question to ask. And they're like, oh, what's the question? And I was like, well, of the high execs that you questioned about how uh, that was part of this um, data research and program, how many of them were men? And they were like, well, why do you ask that? And I was like, well, I'm a woman. And when something goes wrong, I'm probably the first person on the phone to my best mate to resolve it. And I know what girls are like when we're in the bathroom in a club. And if there's something going down with the man or, I don't know, we've got a drink down our top and how we get to get it. We, we talk about it and we help, help each other. And I said, I find it shocking that the biggest reason why we could do better was due to not talking in collaboration. And I said, I've got a gut feeling that most of those people on the boards that you discussed are men. And statistically, they were 95% men. Um, and I think it's just the two ways of how we deal with chaos and I think men um, generally, I'm generalizing, but men generally, you know, 
keep it within. It's a problem with, you know, they isolate it. They want to protect everyone and they keep it quiet where women are like, oh my goodness, let's get everyone's opinion and everyone's support. So the diversity that you're saying, and I'm just talking about male and female, you're talking about, you know, backgrounds and experiences. What do you think boards are missing when they're not having the diverse mix? Why do you think people are being more successful? Oh, this is diversity of thought they're lacking. It's diversity of experience they're lacking. If you think about it, with cyber threats, where are they coming from? Imagine how diverse the attackers themselves are. So don't you think the people that are going to be solving those problems, that are going to be protecting those organizations from the need to have that same level of diverse thinking? Culturally as well, we operate differently. So a different perspective, a different way of dealing with problems, the problem solving, a different way of making decisions, even culturally they're different. You, you describe the difference uh, between how a woman and a male will deal with a certain situation where collaboration is required. Similarly, culturally as well, we deal with different situations differently because of our background, because of our upbringing paths, because of the countries we are brought up in, perhaps the communities we are in, you know. How valuable is that for an organization where you're not just having groupthink, groupthink, groupthink all the time? You know, it's different perspective, out-of-the-box solutions, innovative thinking. The attacks are so sophisticated. I mean, you know, compared to 10 years ago as well, it's just insane how sophisticated they are. So we need people who have that same, can match that sophistication in thinking as well. Because I think it's gone as the day is that kind of vision that the hacker is a person in their basement with a hoodie on. With a hoodie on. That like the old overused image on marketing. Um, it, it that that isn't the case anymore. They're normally sophisticated businesses. They're normally operational businesses of HR departments and finance departments. Yeah, <laughs> completely operating. And I think that blows people's mind. I think they assume it's one person. And I think we did an interesting thing of like the top. Um, people that the FBI are looking for on cybercrime and they are not they're a diverse eclectic group of people they're up they are not this young teenager with a hoodie and that, that's just not the way it is um, it's just far more far more diverse and that makes sense that people tackling on the other side need to have the same diversity and need to have the same experiences yeah exactly you've obviously you're very passionate about being in cybersecurity. If someone was listening to this, potentially a woman or maybe someone of a diverse background and they're not sure even where to begin or how to even start, where would you say would be a good point now if it's if this intro, you know, this podcast is inspiring or the cybersecurity, or that maybe they've been impacted. Um, someone asked me earlier about why I, I joined and it was from visiting an NHS trust um, quite after the WannaCry and I'd had a, a C-section and they, and, and, and um, didn't go very well and needed blood. And they basically said, if I'd been in a hospital, they may have really struggled to have kept, you know, been able to look after me because of my patient records. And for the first time I was like, oh my goodness, that, you know, that's actually impacts me in my life. So maybe someone's been, yeah, had an impact that makes them want to go into this industry. How would you say even dip your toe in or where would you begin or, or how, how would you think it's a good start place to start? Let me also expand on a little bit first about why, why cyber, the way you've had, yeah. you have a personal story about what, what in, got your interest, um, you know, uh, peaked on in this. If you think about um, during the time of the pandemic, 
how much dependency did we have on digital things? Everything was online. We shopped online. We spoke to our loved ones online. Now we do banking on, I mean, my phone, and I expect that for everyone, is a mini computer, right? We do everything through this. So our life depends on digital um, assets. And, and so it impacts every single human being on this planet now. Even, even if you think about um, tribes that don't use, uh, you know, digital things, it impacts them because uh, it, it, we use we use um, satellite and we use um, you know mapping and stuff like to, to find their locations as well. If in fact some of them are also using uh, uh, farming tools and things like that to to yeah. make, you know, so it does impact them even if they're not you know using the, in the modern technology, if you like. So, what does cybersecurity mean for that? And it's protection of our information that is passing through every millisecond you by using this digital asset is part it is your personal information um your personal assets if you like it's all about your life facebook instagram all the social media stuff you would play a part in protecting that for yourself for your families for your friends you know for your organization your community what a rewarding job to be in to be able to do that right you're protecting basically your daily life so that to me is what fascinates me about cyber and the diverse roles you can do. That's, that's the other thing as well that, you know, there is so much you can do in cyber. So where do you start? If you don't have any cybersecurity qualifications or any knowledge around cyber, you know, there's so many things you can start a bit like there are foundation courses around just building awareness on cybersecurity. There are free courses available online. There is the apprenticeship schemes that people can look into as well. And when I use the word apprenticeship, somebody may think, oh, that is for school leavers. No, not at all, not anymore. We have career changers who start off with apprenticeships in cyber and they completely change their career from, we've got somebody in our team who was in home care and now works in cybersecurity, you know? We've had somebody who worked for um, NHS and now works in cybersecurity. So you can do it. So apprenticeships is a way to start. If they go to the UKIS uh, Cybersecurity Council website, the council has mapped out career frameworks and learning and development plans for anyone from beginner to uh, mid-career to you know, senior, senior positions of what sort of roles they can do, what are the entry points for those roles, and what sort of training they can do to get into those roles. They've mapped out a whole framework, and I said that was a, that'll be a really good starting point. So it's the UK Cybersecurity Council. Okay, I didn't I didn't know that was a resource there at all. That's great. There is tons of resource on there, and to be fair, even if you Google where do we start in cyber, there's yeah. so much out there because we really want homegrown talent now. We really want to start uh, them young as well, so working with schools. Um, and uh, encouraging people to take STEM, STEM subjects, etc. So there's a lot of information on where you can start online. We touched on why it was important to have a diverse people in a team. Um, I don't think that just is actually just for cybersecurity. I think that's in life in general. But we need the importance of that and people joining. How is the workplace and making sure it's inclusive for diversity? Um, is really important. I know when um, we uh, refurbed the office here um, last year, um, things that we we were considering is um, like prayer rooms, um, safe spaces for women to breastfeed, those sort of things of 
things that we could start putting into place, whether they were needed straight away, but we knew that rooms could be converted or used or, or, or had those offerings for people. What do you think is like practical steps organisations can do to make sure that workplaces are more inclusive for people that do come from different backgrounds or have different needs? So some of the things you've mentioned is 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 some of the things I would have said as well. Um, you know, make it inclusive for everyone, um, and that is from a say from a cultural point of view, from a gender point of view. It's absolutely, those are quite important things. But there's another area of diversity where I think inclusivity is not talked about quite well, which is neurodiversity, mm-hmm. um, and this is male or female, any gender which is, uh, you know, anybody who's autistic or has ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, uh, we need a lot of workplace adjustments uh, to, to, make, to, be, be, to make the workplace more inclusive for them. Now, when I talk about neurodivergence, um, uh, they are shunned in some way, I would say. They are treated unfairly in some way because they're super clever, talented. I call them powerhouses. They are super powerful. Uh, in some, especially in cybersecurity, yeah. Yeah. but they do not fit to the societal norms of a workplace. So there may be people that don't normally go to office parties, yeah. are not yeah. very social, like to just stay in there. And now what have we done? We have made open plan offices. Wow, amazing. That'd be amazing. Look at the collaboration we can do. Hmm, is that good for neurodivergence? Not really. They need quiet spaces. So do you also have quiet spaces within your organization to cater for them? Lighting, uh, bright lights, great. You can see everything, awesome, the computers, all that, fantastic. For neurodivergence, that is a nightmare. So even when we are, something BA Systems is doing as well, we're building new facilities and we are looking at how do we cater for lighting, which does not impact the neurodivergence that we're working for us. Ways of working as well. We're doing a lot of remote working, so we have a lot of online meetings. Should we insist that they have their videos on? Yeah, that's an interesting topic, yeah. Should they have to come on, yeah. Yeah, so those are little adjustments we can do. And, you know, it's not one fits all. One neurodivergent may be absolutely happy to have one may not. So it's, to me, it's do not put them in a box, you know. Diverse or not diverse, neurodivergent or neurotypical, treat every individual as they are. Everybody has their own ways. Everybody has their own requirements. And it's that conversation you have with somebody when they join as a manager. How do you operate? Mm. You know, what's, and I don't separate personal life to work life. You know, while I don't intrude in their personal life, I like to understand what's going on in your work life that may may make it difficult um, for you in your personal life and vice versa. How do we make sure that both work life and personal life are on par so you can thrive in life? And I have those conversations with my team. Um, How do you like tasking? You know, how do you like to be tasked? Some like to be emails and I need you to do da 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 da. Some like to just have a quick chat. You got the point? Yeah, get on with it and they'll go. But everybody's different, you know, and, and yeah, they, yeah. you know, whether they're male, female or neurodivergent or not, yeah. it's having those conversations. But I think that to me is what you do when they're already in the job. The problem we have is what do you do even before they've got in? How yeah. do we get yeah. that diversity in, in the first place? Even the interview process though, of like how you do that, because, you know, not everyone flourishes on that over the table 
um conversation we um we were, I was very lucky to be part of the recruitment of our SDRs and um even we actually switched up halfway so we actually did quite interesting we did like a full day with them and then selected the people at the end which was really good because you didn't have that weird hour that you got to spend the whole day with them and one of the guys um really just a confidence thing but um his whole demeanor changed if you made him stand if he was sat in a chair he was a completely different human being but like we wouldn't have known that if we'd just done the one piece to pitch if he'd just done the pitch we would have just been like oh he's really nervous like no 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 but the afternoon when he was sat down and working in teams we were like this person's a completely different human being um and yeah how do you that oh and it's so traditional of you do the vote the phone call one and you either pass that or you don't then you do the one in person and that we we've I've heard someone in my team and hopefully you'll probably say like it, the, the phone interview didn't go very well um and luckily we were like I think there's something in him and brought him in and he low up in person so it's that I whether the recruitment thing's quite dated now I don't know of how you get that out of someone well every time I speak about this you know I call for a paradigm shift in recruitment because that is absolutely needed. If you want a diverse work workforce, you've got to challenge the traditional way of recruiting. And that goes even all the way to attraction. How do you even attract these people? For, for us, we are really uh, um, passionate about getting more neurodivergence within our cyber world because we know their skill set, like their pattern thinking, hyper-focused, yeah. detail-oriented, are so critical for some of the cyber roles we have. Because some, some of the pattern thinking we need when we are trying to detect um, uh, coding as well, um, we're trying to detect something in the codes. We, th- those, those people who have that pattern thinking ability can do that so well. Yeah. So there, that's just one example, you know, but there's so much more. So we are quite high on, on attracting neurodivergence. How do we do that? You know, just putting a job spec out there, a traditional job spec out there is not going to do it. Because for somebody who's neurodivergent, they'll look at the job spec and they will go and, and look at the 10 things, 10 is a lot, 10 things that is absolutely critical for this job. And they look at it, they may not be able to want, do one thing, they will not apply. So they're quite similar to women then, in that sense. There you go. There's, there's, that, there's that similarity as well. But women yeah. think of it as um, my inability to, I'm not competent yeah. enough. For somebody who's neurodivergent, it is the... Uh, they're so particular, some of them are so particular. Basically, for them, critical means I must tick every single box. Yeah. Right? And I've not ticked a box, so I'm not, you know, it's not about competence, it's about, you know. So it's a yeah. different way of processing that information. So putting the just a job spec out there is not going to do it. You know, you've got, what other ways can you do? And we have um, the, the National Autistic Society, we have a lot of other uh, we have neurodiversity in business and a lot of other organizations and even recruitment agencies now that bring neurodivergence together where countries go and speak to them, talk about the different roles and get questions from them, get feedback from them and kind of try and recruit them in that way, do networking and recruit them in that way. Yeah. And just, you know, so attraction matters. Where are we even going? Where are we putting the CVs, um, sorry, these job specs out? Just LinkedIn? Mm. Does that do, are they on LinkedIn? You know, stuff like that matters. To the point of the whole, the interview side of things as well. Uh, you've just talked about that. And then onboarding, 
some people that don't all onboarding process like for our company and some of the work we do we need a high level clearance they need help with that you can't just send them a form and say fill this in how is supporting yeah. them through the onboarding i lost somebody because the onboarding process was not really great and a brilliant yeah. talented candidate right so it's stuff like that we need to think about it's a whole paradigm shift in recruitment we need it's a lot to unpack <laughs> of what we need to do but yeah, I think I think ultimately though it's for all of this is like doing our best to bring the best talent into an industry that we care about. Uh because if we're doing for every step from recruitment to onboarding to the culture of once they're in to giving them the support, hopefully there isn't that huge cycle. It's hard enough to get people in. It's even harder if they're leaving faster than they're coming in because we did a whole piece on stress and burnout in our industry. So that's another piece of not only is it hard enough to get in, if we're then burning out or not making people really happy when they're there, it's it's a whole other other mountain that we need to climb. So I think there's a golden nugget though here, which is the word you mentioned, which is culture. That's what I always say. On top of all this is a culture shift. If we can nail the cultural shift around how we make our workplaces as inclusive as possible for a sustainable, diverse workforce, then it's that culture change. And also on top of that, the culture change needs to start from the top. We need seniors to accept that we need the culture change. We need seniors to come out with, diverse seniors to come out and say, look, I'm a female. These are the challenges I had, but look, I got here and I'm going to help you too and bring you along on the journey. We want neurodivergent seniors to come out and say, I've got ADHD or I'm autistic or I've got dyslexia. I got hair. So unmasking all that, because if you can see a senior who's autistic or dyslexic have got, got to that position, can you imagine how inspiring that's going to be? And if you have more and I, seniors I think at you that level... I think you don't think about it. Like, um, I mean, I'm dyslexic and a female and I haven't really thought about those things. But when you say it like that, it's like, okay, yeah, it's quite unusual. Um, my maybe I haven't thought about this, but our um, our uh, co-founder and head of ops he got diagnosed with ADHD while we were growing the business, um, and we've never talked about that. So that's actually maybe a podcast episode. Um, we've never talked about his journey and what that's looked like growing a company and things like that. I mean, I am in a privileged position of sitting on a board and in a hyper growth company right now. What do you think I can do? this board meeting going forward even if it's just small steps what do you think are in you know just small incremental things that you think I could do to encourage it the change I think the first thing is if you're comfortable with that is declaring that you're dyslexic and and hmm. what your dyslexic characteristics brings to the table because yeah you do not want the reason why people are scared of declaring is because neurodivergency is seen as a disabled disability yeah, and what we need to do is pivot that mindset and, and talk about it's not a disability. Not it is not necessarily a disability. It is also a power, and these are the powerful characteristics I have or skill set I have because of my dyslexia that I bring to this board. Declaring it that way makes you powerful already. Secondly, you opening up to that means that you're encouraging, motivating, inspiring others to look at you and think, "Wow, she's on the board." It's interesting because when I got diagnosed with dyslexia and I've got dyscalculia too, when I was at, um, at university, I didn't see it as a superpower. I saw it as I was being removed from my friends 
that I was going into a different room to do the exam. They gave me way more time, which made me think I overthought everything. I got given equipment to record stuff. I got all this support, but at the time, it made me feel really like unnormal at uni. I had someone that came into my lectures and took notes for me, and I was like, I can take notes. Like, I'm okay. Um, but that's how it made me feel. It made me feel really isolated and really different. And I know when I started here, I got the Grammarly app. I overread everything I wrote. Um, I never wrote anything. I was like, I'm not a copywriter. I can't do copy. I actually really enjoy copy. I actually think I'm quite creative, but it was like a mind block. I was like, no, I'm dyslexic. Or even when I started doing budget, I was like, I'm not going to be very good at this because I'm because I've I, you know I've got dyscalculia. So I'm not very good at numbers. I actually can run a budget. I, I actually can keep a number. I can speak to the accountants team. I can manage invoices. So I guess yeah, I don't know. It stemmed from me, and also I have my dad. He's very dyslexic, and he. I always felt like he was quite ashamed by it. So I, 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 think, I think it's, it's that stemmed we focus with me. on the negative because we focus on the negative characteristics. Yeah. But because of your dyslexia, I guarantee you, hundred percent, you have got skills in which you process information or learn things that your neurotypical colleague cannot do. Maybe I need to look into. I've never, I've never really thought about it. It's not something I've really ov- overly openly talked about it. Like I know, I know it about me, and I know I, I adapt because of it. Um, but yeah, I think it's just something. I always just thought, yeah, a schooling thing. Maybe if you're dyslexic, you're put in a different group. Um, and th- that's the thing. We we start putting people in boxes, and that's where we yeah. need to stop. And the other thing, there's a bit of a a sink there with gender and neurodivergency as well because uh, female who are neurodiverse are very, very good at masking. Uh, uh, That was something that came up when I got tested because they were surprised that I had taken to university and they asked me what my mechanisms were. And I was like, I don't know what you mean. And they were like, you created mechanisms at some point to cover it. And I was like, "Mm." so they asked me loads of questions and I didn't realize I always sat at the front of the class. And I didn't realize that I reread notes before I went in. I didn't realize that I did. I didn't realize I didn't realize that I did my to do list to the last minute. There was a lot of things that I didn't know. I just thought that was normal and was me. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> that I'm unpacking in my thirties. But uh, yeah, um, and a lot, a lot of this, uh, and there's a lot of adults now, neurodivergent adults that have realised this now because we're talking a lot more about it. And like, hang on a second, could I be? Because these are some of the things I do, and they go and take an online test as well. But one of the things I have uh, when I talk to them, what I've, and many, many have told me is, oh my goodness. Now that I've realized I am neurodivergent, it has just opened up a whole host of opportunities for me because now I know why I am the way I am. Yeah. And now I've accepted myself. And that has been, I've had people in tears in front of me because it's lifted a whole load of, you know, um, heavy load off them because now they're accepting of how they are. But they're taking that as a superpower and saying, because I'm like this, look at the basic fantastic things I can do, which I know some people can't do, planning, organization, or thinking 10 steps ahead, all those things not everybody can do. Hmm. It's a whole different topic that I haven't ever unpacked. I was just waving the female flag, but maybe there's more more flags that we, we need to be doing. What does the future look like? Hmm. What does the future look like? Um, 
I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I would like the future to look like. Um, and, and, and this might be something controversial now I'm going to say is, I would like us to eliminate the term DENI, diversity, equity and inclusion. I would love to be still alive when that is in the history books because there's no longer a need to address the lack of diversity, the lack of inclusion, because everybody's treated just for who they are and not put in, ca- in categories and labeled in different ways. That's what I would like the future to be. I love that. I feel the same about corporate social responsibility. Surely we should just all do the right thing. <laughs> exactly. um, a lot like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that though. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't have a crystal ball, but that's what I'd like it to be. And everything I do in my day job or in my daily life, even with my children, is trying to get closer to that vision. I think that's a beautiful vision to live by. And hopefully many more of us will take that on. I could talk to you for hours on this. It's a very fascinating subject and uh, very warming and, um, I don't know, very safe space that you've created. So I think your team are very, very lucky to have you and and your company. And whatever you do, I think you're going to make incredible waves for the next generation of us joining cybersecurity. So thank you so much. Really, really appreciate that you take your time with us. No, I'd really thank you for having me on this. It's been superb talking to you and I'm sure we'll talk more. Ah, I hope so. Hopefully we'll get to meet in person. But thank you so much. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. Bye.